You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. title this morning is called Prevailing in Challenging Times. And um, as I've thought through um, what I shared last week and um, what I'm looking at this week, one of the things that's really stood out to me is that the capacity to overcome or the capacity to to prevail, and we see this in the scriptures, and we saw some of it last week. We saw it with um, with Jeremiah, and we saw it with David, that they were able to overcome, they were able to prevail because of the personal relationship they had with the Lord. They could prevail and they could overcome because they had a relationship with God they had a relationship with the Lord Jesus where they could pray and they could hear. They could communicate and they could get from the Lord things that they needed to hear that met the difficult uh, needs of their lives. And um, one of the reasons I love Jeremiah is because although he was, what's one of the names of the books? He wrote two books. What's the, what's the remember the name of the second book? is the Lamentations of Jeremiah. And so Jeremiah was, um, he was rejected, he was despised, and a lot of it had to do with the prophetic ministry the Lord gave him because it wasn't that encouraging, quite frankly. And as a result, he was rejected. He was imprisoned for a long period of time. I mentioned this. He was lowered into a cistern, which is a type of hand-dug well, and he sat in mud. I mean, you think 2020 has been rough. Think about the life of Jeremiah. Not just put in jail, put in a hole in the mud where he almost died. He watched the destruction of the city he loved, which was Jerusalem, and then he was carried away to Egypt, and he died. He died a foreigner, basically an alien from his, from his own home. And so he writes this book of Lamentations, And we also find something in the book of Jeremiah, an exchange he had with the Lord. And the thing that really blesses me is that Jeremiah didn't settle for depression or despair or hopelessness, although a lot of his ministry was a judgmental kind of ministry. And the second thing is God didn't let him settle for hopelessness or despair either. So when you've got the prophet known for having written the book of Lamentations, it does not mean you should live a life which is only a lamentation of how hard things have been. Are you listening this morning? But Jeremiah, through his personal relationship with God, could overcome all of those things I mentioned that went on in his life. 
And we read in chapter 3, um, he prays to the Lord, verse 9, or 19 rather, Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall, my soul still remembers and sinks within me. So there he is. He's in this desperate place. But then he writes this in the next verse. But this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Let me say that again. These are the kind of things Jeremiah would say to combat his emotional and literal experience. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It's good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So we see in his life, and this is some review from last week, we see that he, he was in process, but he was in a relational process with the Lord. It was a give and take. Being a Christian is not just about attending a church, reading a book, and doing the best you can. It's about a real living relationship. Rock mentioned something that we don't haven't talked a lot about, the baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, which you find in Acts chapter 2. I will be frank with you. That experience revolutionized my Christian life. Now, should everybody speak in tongues? I'm not saying they should, but I'm saying I did, and I'm saying there is um, experiences with God where you will be empowered beyond where you are today. And that never has to end. There can be ongoing relationships and touches from God. If we can discover the way to connect with the one who's inexhaustible, we don't have to live a life of weariness. But if we are constantly inundated and considering and thinking about the back and forth, particularly this past week. What a disturbing week here in the United States of America. But God is still on the throne when everything else shakes and breaks and falls apart. And he is calling people to believe in a way where they can stand and be stability in unstable times. That is your calling. If you do not realize that, you were born to be an imager of God. What does that mean? You don't just represent God. You have a purpose to demonstrate and live the life of God's presence and power in the world. If we shake when everybody else shakes, we need to get shook into the unshakable things. Even when Jeremiah complained and accused the Lord of being undependable, the Lord had an answer ready for him. He said, if you will give up your mistaken tone of distrust and despair, then, somebody say that four-letter word, then. Then is a scary word. Because in this kind of language, he gives a, a statement of making a 
personal decision and change, which is then followed by a fulfilled promise. Do you understand what I'm saying? He says, if you will give up this mistaken tone of distrust and despair, then I will give you again a settled place of quiet and safety. Then he says, and if you will stop being suspicious of my faithfulness, you will be my mouthpiece. You will speak for me because God doesn't want hopeless people speaking on his behalf. Can you hear that? That's not helping. That's not helping. But we all have these challenges. Yes? Yes, we all have these challenges. But Jeremiah 15 and the classic Amplified in those verses, 18, 19, 20, right through there, to me, they are some of the most significant verses when it comes to dealing with depression and hopelessness. It gives you a way out. And, of course, there, there, there are any other ones. We also looked at David, David's two secrets. This is in 1 Samuel 30. I'm not going to elaborate on it extensively, but David was running from Saul. The king tried, wanted to kill David. He was threatened by David. David had a group of men, their families. They were in a place called Ziklag. They left that place, and when they were gone, it was raided. Everything was burned. Everything was stolen, including wives, children, everything. And David was in a very difficult spot. They threatened to stone David. So David did two things. And these two things were in direct relationship to his relationship with God. He strengthened himself in the Lord and he inquired of the Lord. He asked God specific questions. God gave him specific answers. How many of you have had experiences like that with the Lord? You ask him specific questions, he will give you specific answers. That may not come the way you think, but if you'll pay attention, God will answer you. He really will. God will answer you. Seven times, this was one of David's secrets. Seven times in the scripture, we find it written, David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. David asked specific questions. And through his relationship, he got some specific answers. On more than one occasion, it literally, and I use the term literally, literally. A lot of people use literally, figuratively. I use literally, literally. It literally saved his life. Literally. Ha, ha, ha. Everybody okay? So David inquired on the Lord. He prevailed. David prevailed through his personal relationship. And as they were connected with personal experiences with the Lord, there's nothing more important than a personal relationship with Jesus. Nothing more important. Then we look at the Apostle Paul. We'll cover a little bit of new territory here this morning. Most of that was review, but it's important review. Paul wrote some of his most encouraging and insightful letters in the midst of one of the most amazing, spirit-filled, outpouring, miracle episodes of his life. No, that's not true. That's not where he wrote them. He wrote them in prison. 
Are you here? Are you here? No, he wasn't in some mountaintop experience. Paul wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and the book of Philemon from a jail cell. A jail cell. Here's what he would say to the Colossians when he was in jail. Let the peace of God rule your heart. Just imagine that. Paul's in prison. He's not sure if he's going to live or die, and he writes to the church in the Colossian, the, uh, Col- Colossi, whatever. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Here's the whole verse. It's Colossians 3.15. I think we have it overhead. Can you see it there? Let's read this out loud. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Let's look at verse 15. It says, and what? Let. Let. Will God force you to be peaceful? No. He wants to partner with you, so he asks you, let my peace rule in your hearts. Okay, verse 16, what's the first word? Let. Give permission to, you could say it that way. Give permission to the word of Christ to dwell in you richly in what? All wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to who? To the Lord. Paul's talking about a lifestyle. Another way you could say let peace rule your heart is let peace be the umpire of your minds. How many of you are familiar with the term umpire? Umpire. You have an umpire in baseball, you have an umpire in football. They tell you when you're right, when you're safe, or when you're out, when you're offsides or whatever. But they make rulings. Peace can be an umpire. It can let you know. Let me say, let me ask you this. Have you ever made a decision and immediately felt easy about it? Wave at me. You know what that is? That's your umpire saying you're making a bad decision. That's your peace that's being the ruler, the umpire. That's God's peace telling you if you're out or if you're safe. The peace of God wants to rule or guard your heart. Losing our peace tells us when we're getting off. God's peace increases in our lives as we embrace what's true or it decreases when we begin to believe things that are not true. That's a very simple way. There may be more to it at times, but a very simple way to know if what you're believing is true or not is if you're peaceful or not peaceful. Can we hear that? Is that simplistic? Yes. But maybe it's that simple. God's peace is like a thermometer. Tells us when we're making the right decisions or tells us when we're making the wrong decisions. Tells us if we're making the right choices or the wrong choices. And Paul said this, let God's peace guard you. Let God's peace rule you. Let God's peace protect you. Will you let it? Now, if all you do is focus on the 
international and national dysfunction in the media, you are going to have a lot of trouble living a peaceful life. Because what you let in, you can tell if it's right, wrong, good, bad, by how it affects the peace that God wants you to live by. Okay? Everybody okay with that? Let's look at um, Philippians 4. Paul also wrote this from prison. I think we have an overhead for that. Is it up there, Philippians 4? Let's read this together. This is so good. Rejoice in the Lord occasionally. What does that say? Rejoice in the Lord always. And then Paul says again, I will say what? Where's Paul when he writes this? He's in prison. Listen, he's having to practice what he's preaching here. And that's the worst thing that can happen to a preacher. Is actually do what you say you should do. I'm convicted. Help yourself if you are too. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? Thanksgiving. That's the key. Rejoicing and being thankful as a way of life. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what will happen? Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will do what? Guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus or through the presence and power of our God. And then here's some great advice. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are of evil report. You don't know what they're doing over there. Well, let's look at it real closely. (laughs) No, don't look at that. What are you going to do about it anyway? Come on, tell the truth. I put you in charge of these major issues in the nation, ask you to fix them. I don't think so. Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And then Paul makes another promise. The things which you have heard and learned, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and what will happen? The God of peace will be with you. So Paul writes these amazing spiritual practices is what they are from prison. Paul learned through the process of his personal relationship with Jesus that rejoicing is essential. Who's taking notes this morning? Rejoicing is essential. Anxiety is our enemy and can be conquered by a thanksgiving-infused process of prayer, making known to God our request. The Amplified, I'm sorry, the Passion Translation says, tell him every detail of your life. How many of you actually do that? 
tell the Lord every detail of your life. That's what it is to have an ongoing relationship with the Lord. I've asked this question before. I know it's not absolutely true, but I believe there's truth in it. What if God knew nothing about you you didn't tell him? What would he know? What would he know? Well, he knows everything already. Okay, if he knows everything already, what's prayer all about? What's that about? If he knows everything, if he knows the end from the beginning, why do we pray? Because there's something more to it. There's this aspect of a personal relationship with God where you tell him who you are. And as you tell him who you are and the details of your life, he will begin to speak to you about those details in ways he has never spoken to you before. I know this from personal experience. I know this from personal experience. I was talking to the Lord about a detail in my life. He gave me um, a solution to it. And I said, Lord, I have known you for 40 plus years. Why have you never spoken to me about that before? He said, well, you never talked to me about it. That's what a relationship's like. If we do what Paul said, his peace, which passes all understanding, a lot of people's peace is directly related to what they understand. Well, I just don't understand, so I think I'll just fall into chaos. Well, that's not good. I think we'd be shocked if we realized how little we understand about anything, honestly. I mean, I've been married 44 years. I'm, I'm beginning to understand my wife. And she's not complicated. She's dear. She's sweet. But it'd be shocking what you can find out about somebody after four and a half decades. <laughs> okay, moving right along. Nobody's interested in that, I could tell. So, the Passion Translation of these same verses. I know this is overkill, but I'm going to overkill you today, so. Philippians 4, 4 through 9, the Passion Translation. You ready for this? Be cheerful. What? (laughs) Be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. Let joy overflow for you are united. You are united with the anointed one. Let gentleness be seen in every relationship for our Lord is ever near. Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. How many of you would like to not be worried about a single thing? Wow, that has to be possible, right? That we could live a life where we don't worry all the time? Let me ask you honestly, how many of you worry all the time? How many of you worry all the time? Come on, let's admit to it. Do you see my hand raised? Yeah. I don't worry all the time. Sometimes I'm asleep. No, but I, you know, and I don't worry all the time. But what I'm saying is God has solutions for that. He doesn't want us to be worried. I heard a preacher say one time, God never said he wanted us to be happy. And I thought, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I want my kids to be happy. I want to raise my kids and say, listen, I don't care if you're happy or not. Just learn your lesson. I wouldn't 
that's not it. No. I want them to be happy. Um, let me see where I was. Verse 6, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him how frequently? Always. Follow the example of all that we have imparted to you, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. Paul is in prison. He literally did not know if he would live or die. So here's what he says. Be cheerful. Let joy overflow. Don't allow yourself to be pulled in different directions or worried about anything. Pray. Tell God every detail of your life. And when you make your request, make them with thanksgiving, overflowing gratitude, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. That's so good. Thank God for the Apostle Paul, huh? Now, what I want to close with today is a story, and this is um, directly... This is something the Lord did for me through really just my personal relationship with him. And I may have told some of this before. But um, a number of years ago, I was in a hotel in Florida, and I was going to speak in a, a local congregation in the Fort Lauderdale area. And I went down to the lobby to have breakfast and when I sat down at the table by myself to eat, I had this feeling like my father was sitting in the chair across from me. I felt like my dad sat. Now, he had been gone. Uh, Christopher, running sound back there, was two months old when my father passed away. So my dad had been gone a long time. But I, it was the strangest thing. I mean, I didn't see him. I'm not. I'm just saying. I could. It's like I felt him sitting across, and as I was thinking about it, I felt like my father was saying to me, "What are you going to do for your mother?" And I was really taken aback by it because it was such an unusual thing. Um. So when I returned home, I went to see my mother, who was in a a very good retirement center. After dad passed away, she went to a place up in Pine, uh, uh, Davidson called the Pines. And it's one of those places where uh, you're just living life, playing golf, doing all that. Um, but if 
it can take you in that state of health all the way to like being in ICU or health care. So when I went to see her after that weekend in Florida, I realized for the first time my mom's mental health was beginning to deteriorate. And so I talked to my brother. There were just the two of us. And I determined I was going to go see my mom every week. Uh, and so my day off was Monday. Every Monday I would drive up to to where she lived and um, talk to her, go to the grocery store for her, whatever she needed. But as it progressed, each visit began to take on the characteristics of the movie Groundhog Day. How many of you remember it was like week after week we would have the same conversations about the same thing, and she became increasingly sort of negative and critical, and she would accuse me of never coming to see her even when I was coming every week. And it really bothered me because she was a vivacious, beautiful, almost like, she had almost like a regal bearing of nobility. She had a sparkling personality. She was outgoing. She was loving. She was always a great mom. But I watched her deteriorate over those, those three years. And when she passed away, I was left with a very negative image of my mom. Can you understand what I'm saying? And it, it bothered me. And I thought, well, I, I didn't know what to do about it. So several months after she passed away, I was alone, but I was in a public place, and I was, it was um, eight days before uh, Passover, and what I usually do around Passover, Easter, is I will consider the sufferings of Jesus. I will look in all four Gospels and read about the sufferings of Jesus because it's important to me to, to, to actually meditate on and realize what his experience was on our behalf. So I go through all the Gospels. Well, in, in this particular case, as I was doing it and I was sitting in a public place, the presence of God became so intense, I was about to break down and, and weep. And so I said to the Lord, I don't know, I may have even said it out loud. I said, Lord, you got to back up here. I'm going to have to go. I just said that to him. And he suddenly, and this is going on in my mind, suddenly he said, do you remember years ago in Florida when you felt your father sit down and ask you what you're going to do about your mom? I'm going, where is this coming from? I said, yes. He said to me, then the Lord said, that was me. Now, that was the spirit of the Lord that came in a form like my dad to speak to me that had something to do with my relationship with my mom and my dad. It's very interesting. But these are the kind of things that can happen in a personal relationship with God. He will go to great lengths to help you and communicate with you. He said, that was me. And when he said that to me, that oppressive negative image I had of my mother instantly disintegrated and left 
and I'm no longer left with that picture of my mother, but of an authentic picture of what a wonderful person she was. Now, that may not mean a thing to anybody else in the world, but that meant a lot to me. And here's how it happened. It happened as a result of a personal relationship with God. He, he helped me with something that plagued me about my mother that I thought I would just live with. Do you understand what I'm saying? I thought I'd just live with this. I'd have given any thought. It bothered me. It troubled me. And then I wondered, I wonder why the Lord did that. I'm, I'm that way. And here's what I personally believe. I was concerned about his sufferings when he was concerned about mine. Do you realize that? He cares about how you feel. He wants to help you. He wants to communicate with you. So, how many of you want a better relationship with the Lord? Well, why don't we pray and then, then I'll close. Why don't we stand together? I think that's sometimes helpful. Lord, we want to know you better. How many of you want to know him better? Let's say that together. Lord, we want to know you better. We want to be able to communicate with you and live in your peace. We just do. Lord, we don't want to be dependent on everything around us, on circumstance, in order to be stable and peaceful and joyful and able to help other people. Lord, we ask that you would have more mercy on us, that you would communicate with us, that you would help us know you in such a way that it would make a difference to the world around us. Lord, we want to be disciples of Jesus. We want to be interns of Jesus. We want to be close to you, Lord Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.